Hello and welcome to The Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we pick a film, we review it, we talk about it and we discuss some of the ideas and themes it throws up. And as always we'll end with our recommendations for further reading or further watching inspired by the film of the week. But before we get started, we always have a little catch up on what else we've been watching this week, aside from our film of the week. So Sam, what else has been gracing your little screen or the big screen for you this last week? I haven't had a chance to get to cinema, but I have seen um, a fairly recent film that has just come to Netflix, or has come to Netflix in recent months, is Guardians of the Galaxy from a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came to this after after seeing Parks and Recreation, sorry, before seeing Parks and Recreation, um, which is brilliant. So I didn't really know anything about Chris Pratt, um, like I do now. Um, and he is brilliant, but he is—he's not the only one who's great in a top-notch cast. Um, and the direction's brilliant, and the script is great fun. Uh, and I'm looking forward to Guardians of the Galaxy two, which is the next one film in the Marvel comic universe. Excellent. I—I I, I work with Chris Pratt on Zero Dark Thirty. Oh, great. And he's a thoroughly lovely man. Good. Thoroughly, thoroughly lovely. He's exactly as lovely as you think he'd be from seeing him in these films. Oh, brilliant. I, I get the feeling that he'd just he'd be a really nice bloke to have gone to school with. Yes. He's nice. He was. He, he, he When we were working the film, he just had his, his first child or second child. Um, he just had, his wife had just given birth, and he was so happy. He was buying drinks. He was he was just he was just thoroughly loved his work with. We were stuck in Dead Sea together for a month, um, and he was just lovely. Yeah. I say together, there were like two hundred of us. We weren't like best buds, but uh, yeah. he was there yeah, as was so. I. Good. What, what have you been up to? Recently? Well, the two the two sort of not the highlights, but two sort of headlines for this week is two films I've seen. So first of all I went to cinema and I saw Independence Day 2 Resurgence, I think it's called. Yeah, it's not oh. really worth your time. Okay, right. Um I got a lot of time, a lot of love for the original Independence Day. And this isn't the original Independence Day. It's missing a lot of the mm. charm um and goofiness that I imagine was provided by Will Smith first time round. It doesn't quite have that to fill it in and none of the new characters kind of provide it that that same spark it's serviceable it's fun it's fine that's all it is secondly who is who is the, who is the um, actor filling the the Smith gap well you've got kind of got two so or kind of three really you've got um, Liam Hensworth is it Liam Hensworth one of the Hensworth brothers one of the Hensworths um yeah, Liam Hensworth, um, who who plays just like a, a a orphan from the first film. He wasn't in the first film, but he's an orphaned by the first film. Um, and right. he uh, kind of comes back to... No, he not comes back. He's now trained up as a, a pilot and flies in defence. And you've got the son of Will Smith's character, who is right. played by William... No, William? Uh, Jesse T. Usher. <coughs> Who I can't say I've really known from anywhere else. I'm just looking at his page no. now. Um, no, he's he's not. He's been in a lot of TV, um, but no, he isn't. Anyway, never from anywhere. He 
I, I, I couldn't work out because he was meant to be the, the, the hard ass and Liam Hemsworth is the sort of more sort of you know, flyboy, seat plants kind of guy. But Jesse mm-hmm. Tio kind of, had no personality or, or charisma, but I don't know how much of that written. Liam Hemsworth is fun and silly, but it's just fun and silly. Jeff Goldblum is always good. He's good, Jeff Goldblum. Bill Pullman comes back as present with more. He's very good. Um, there's a lot of people in it who are very good, uh, but it just didn't quite capture the uh, the spirit of the first one. Uh-huh. But at the other okay. end of the scale, yeah, is we finally got round to watching Spotlight, which oh, is the Oscar-winning right. film, the tale of the Boston Globe Spotlight team who uncovered all the uh, abuse of Catholic priests or by Catholic priests of of children in Chicago and it's their tale of cracking open that case um, it is it won the best film Oscar for a good reason it is it's very 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 good everyone in it is firing on all cylinders um, it's got my personal favourite Liv, Liv Schreiber I've got a lot of time for Liv Schreiber he's in it and he's very 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 good so both Sarah and I watched that. It was one of those films where you come and sit down with me. Oh, I'll, I'll, you know, do something else while I'm doing this. And within ten minutes, both of us have put down our tablets, put down our books, and we just sat and engrossed and watched it for two hours. Um, so yeah, good. That those are my two headlines of this week. And this week, it is the next film in the Indiana Jones franchise. It is. Um, it is. It is the 1984 film. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. If adventure has a name, it must be Indiana Jones. From Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Indiana Jones. So, Indiana Jones, Temple of Dune, sequel to last week's film, picks up, not where the other one left off, but um, similar sort of thing, mid-adventure, very much um, mid-on-scenes opening. Indy gets pulled into, I would say, adventures in India at the palace of um, the Maharaja, is he? That's something else entirely. Um, But the... um, Yeah, it is. Is the Maharaja, um, the Maharaja about what appears to be underground religious ceremonies and the theft of some children and some ma- some sacred stones from a little village. This time he's accompanied by Kate Capshaw, playing Willie Scott, a lounge singer very much out of place, and Jonathan Kwan a short round, um, his small sidekick character, Sam. You know, yeah. I just feel this is a film that Sam's going to have thoughts on. <laughs> um, and I don't mean that in a, in, in, a, in a negative way. I just feel he's going to have thoughts here. So, Sam, thoughts? Yes. Um, I And it, it saddens me because I love this franchise. Um, and as I said at the beginning, I have watched and rewatched all all of the films. Um but I cannot stand this film. Um, and this film makes me very angry. Okay. And it's, it starts... I mean, it starts the opening sequence, which has a, a cod oriental reworking of a cold water song. 
And I've said this is the very least horribly xenophobic, but it's not. It's just plain racist. Um, and when I describe I describe it as Oriental, just a bit of an excursion into theory, um, this is Oriental as it's used in Ebu Said's theory of Orientalism. Ebu Said, 1978, it describes the orientalist tendency among so-called western countries occidental countries a patronizing attitude of the sort of quote-unquote west to the quote-unquote east wherein the power structures that produce a global racial imbalance and you can tell i'm reading this now um are reproduced through the fiction art and music and made about the region it is i mean Orientalism is a reliance on cliché, uh, and that's something that has beset a lot of, well, particularly visual art in the 20th century, and in this case, cinema. And, yeah, it just makes me angry. I mean, it, it is, this, I mean, this film has Kate Capshaw in it, who is a damsel in distress, and that makes me angry because... She is saved by a man. Um, but it's basically about a country in distress being saved by a white American man. And it, it's just it's just wrong on so many levels. This has Chinese as cunning and Indians as mystic and superstitious. It has them believing in things that Indiana explains away as the... The sort of the connection to religious ceremonies of of a native people who aren't um, who aren't enlightened by science. It it basically it takes the the natives are a bit a bit backward and don't believe in science. Something that we we touched on last week, and it does it up to an unbearably patronising level. Um, so that's my initial rant on um, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. Rob, s- save it. Tell me why this well, is worth I, it. I feel someone's got to hear a little bit. <laughs> uh, otherwise, otherwise, I'm not sure my wife will ever talk to you again. Um, now, <laughs> I. This is where I feel that uh, Sam's academic training is going to uh, come against my, my non academic training. In that I think this is an incredibly fun film. Right. I think that it's taken some of the smooth edges, some of the rough edges of the first one, and smoothed them out. You know, you, you have some slapstick scenes and funny scenes, but you the first well, whilst we discussed last week, the slap is much more slapsticky. This one is less slapsticky and more well wordplay. You know, you've mm. got the relationship between. Uh, Indiana Jones and Willie Scott is very different to the one from Indiana Jones and Marion from from last week from the first film, and the humour comes from their relationship rather than slapstick setups of the first one. So I think that serves it better. Also, I think there's been a little bit of character reassignment in Indiana Jones uh, between the first and second one. The first one is very much we see him as a lecturer at a museum trying to do things for the museum for that kind of style of thing. Whereas at the end of this film, you hear him very much saying, why put it in the museum? It'd just be another rock for them. He talks about fortune and glory. He's kind of, he stepped away from being 
a lecturer who's trying to save these artifacts to being more of a adventurer more of a kind of more of a fortune hunter so we say mm. also you've got there's a scene which it really took me yesterday is there's a scene in which he's fighting one of the guards and the guards pulled into a, a rock crusher and Indiana Jones does his very best to try and after having fought him for the last five minutes to try and save him from this death mm. the indie of the first film would not have done that he shot a man um with his gun rather than fighting him he let all the Nazis die at the end he, he would the first one he was much more willing to kill whereas this one he still kills but there's a feeling that he's, he's trying to be more made more of a PG-13 shall we say mm. on top of that I think that the film does some amazing things with lighting great example of this is the very first scene they're in Club Obi-Wan he's meeting with Lau um, who he has done a deal with for a diamond to get the, the remains of a, um, he's a Chinese emperor, I believe it is a Chinese emperor, mm, um, yeah. of a dynasty. Every single shot of Lao, whether he's inside, outside, whatever, the only thing on his face is lit is his eyes. If you look at it again, every shot, his, his mouth is in shadow, his forehead in shadow, his eyes are lit. It's this real kind of, film noir throwback if you look at early film noir films and film noir stylings it's very hard like it's that with that way that sort of window slats like bright light coming in harsh lights the idea of people being two-faced coming out in this two-tone lighting mm. you have this all throughout the film the people who are two-faced are lit in a manner that is two-faced whether they have the the eye of Lau or just from one side where you've got people like Indy who generally are quite well lit until until he's subdued into the foggy cult at which point he then gets lit very harshly with red light so the film is doing some really amazing things with lighting and And also also, just just on on that before he even gets um, initiated into the cult, you have the moment when he takes the stones for the first time. Mm. And you can no- notice the light at that point when something in, in Indy's head says, hang on, I could take something valuable here. And he stops being about altruistic saving other people or he, he, he doesn't really think about fortune and glory. He just thinks thinks about this is something beautiful I want this mm. suddenly the lighting is different you get that sort of the play of the yellow light on his face from the stone so the film's doing anyway, some Karen. very good things in its technical ability I mean it's Spielberg directing he is in many ways the master of this stuff um, the simplicity of lighting to tell stories um, and you have particularly in the stuff in the mines, like the front light of the back lighting, and you've always got this red light going on in this the, the sort of the thuggy cult world. That being said, I do agree with you on the portrayal of India and Indians in this film. I've been to India for work, I've lived there for a while, it's a lovely place. But this film very much does portray them either as kind of simple, poor, evil or magical mm. and I think that it is a gross oversimplification of a nation and even a nation at this time but this is where we get into this world of what we discussed previously of a cultural throwback that this film is 
shot in the 80s set i believe in the 30s and it's trying to throw back to the pulp novels of the 50s Mm. and so you've got this sort of describe it it's very much a sort of mixed time and place and how the film portrays people of india is probably very similar to the way it was portrayed in those novels in the 50s Mm. which i believe it was trying to replicate it's done it badly in that it hasn't it's done the replication without any kind of commentary you know, if you want to do a film that is throwing back to that kind of pulp novel, you know, boys' own adventure style thing, that's fine. But you have to put a modern slant on it, or a modern look at it, going, you know what, within this film we are saying this, but there is a moment in which we kind of look at the audience and go, but we all understand no one believes this now. However you do that, you've got to find some way to make mm. it work. Otherwise you're just still being racist. Even if you're being yeah. knowingly, you're throwing back to racism. You're 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 referencing a racist text originally, hmm. and you're trying to do a reference rather than an actual implication. Unless you can put something in the film to kind of go, this is a separation from that to this. You're not going to do that well. You're still going to come as racist. I use the example hmm. of that recent BBTV series, Indian Summer. Which is once again throwing back to a very racist time in our history. A very xenophobic and a very kind of oppressive British rule in India, period. But the film does great work to establish all the Indians as complex characters. Some of them are evil. Some of them are, you know, terrorists who are killing people. But not all of them are. Even those ones that are, are humanised in a way that we humanise the Western characters in that film. And I think the film doesn't do, I wouldn't say enough, but almost anything to try and deal with that here. Especially the scene that's been the highlights it. And whilst it's a very funny scene, I think it works within a filmic format. The dinner scene is a particular one. Mm. Now, I've, I've eaten Indian food. I've eaten very rural Indian food. At no point has anyone served me any food like that whatsoever. No. And it's played for laughs here because it's about Willie Scott rather than about Indians. But from a 2016 point of view, looking back at an 80s film referencing a 50s book about a a 30s adventurer, that the lens we're viewing through isn't calibrated enough and you you just see strictly the racism. Hmm. It is, and Spielberg and Lucas have talked about it as... The series being based, and they have this. This is not just Rob making allowances for it because he thinks it's based. on it, it totally was. Spielberg yes. and Lucas said said this is based on a thirties, forties, fifties type pulp serial. Mm. Like they, this is this is the aesthetic they were going for. And they've said they were. And I think that there are ways to do that, but I'm, I'm just I'm racking my brain right now to think of that there have been examples of people who've done that kind of thing. Without, yeah. Have you ever seen the um, film Cap- Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow? No. So Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow film, um, very very amazing film. We'll cover it at some point, but it's kind of like a throwback to the same sort of ventures. But they're fighting, you know, a, a secret third um, 
a secret uh, mad boss so you haven't got to de- you have the aesthetic of the, of the period the aesthetic of the pop novels without going look at those people from that country they're strange which is why mm. i think if you look what way the nazis have become the de facto bad guy for indiana jones because it's very easy to hate nazis Yes, yeah, there, there is, there's a definite villain, and it's become, I mean, for for very obvious reasons, people are allowed to hate Nazis. Yes, I mean, it's a obvious and and morally sound reasons. Everyone can get behind hating the Nazis, whereas it, when there when there is a villain who is a member of a tuggy cult, as in in this case you have Amrish Puri playing the priest, but he says we took it back after you plundered our country and Indiana Jones says, ha, we plundered you, you think, well actually, although um, Amrish Puri is in the wrong in some ways in this scene, in other ways he's totally right, I mean the Americans the British in this case, it's the British did did plunder these stones, did take these stones that didn't belong to them. So he's he's totally and you you can you can side with him and you can think, well, I can't really hate this villain. Morally, it, it's morally dubious for me to hate this villain in a way that it's it's completely not to hate the Nazis in the other films. Yeah, I think I think there's a a muzzling of of the black and white aesthetic. Um, which isn't isn't helped, but it certainly because they've portrayed the thuggy cult here as literal child kidnappers, slave labourers who are sacrificing people who are alive to their thuggy. Like they've gone all out in making them evil. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But as you say, there, there is a. This film, more than any others in the series, has very much the colonial white man going um, to it. And whilst there is, I think there is some critique of the Indiana Jones character, and that there is discussion of the fact that he's been banned from various countries, um, various people have offered threatened to cut off his hands, um, and all that kind of thing. There is a little bit of a critique of him as a grave robber rather than, shall we say, a adventurer or a hero. Mm. It's very much played for laughs, and it all kind of comes under the umbrella of the R. Shucks character of um, Harrison Ford. Mm. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's mentioned, but it's never really kind of you never see any impact on that, um, apart from right at the end, in which Indiana Jones decides to leave the stone with the uh, the village rather than take it away himself. But it is very much a minor moment compared to everything else. Hmm. I will say from from a franchise point of view, there are some I mean this this is a good sequel and there are some nice references. The first one you have um Indiana Jones being set on by two swordsmen and he he reaches for his holster and you think, oh, he's going to do what he did in the first film, and then there's no gun there, and there's, he, he can't reach his whip quickly enough, and he's got to fight the swordsman. And mm. it, there's that moment where you think, oh, it's a nice, it's a nice callback to, to Raiders, to that moment when, when he, uses, he brings a gun to a knife fight. 
Um, so there are there are some some nice sort of stylistic touches, and this is this is a nice it's a nicely positioned sequel, but I I don't think it works for for various reasons. I um, I. I, I would say, I mean, admittedly, I haven't got the viewing you have from academic point of view. And I know, as we've in the past, Sam's particular focus of academia is post-colonialism and that kind of thing. But for me, it still stands tall. I still, still kind of give it a pass a little bit on the basis mm-hmm. of I do think it's a technically a very good film and it's a very enjoyable yeah. film. But I do think that it's uh, we kind of have to step back and go... Yeah, we just got to deal with the fact that it's sometimes a little bit, uh, a little bit close to the bone in some of its uh, politics. Yeah. So, Rob, recommendations for this week? So, this week I've got two recommendations. Um, first one, directed by Steven Spielberg, and picking a Steven Spielberg film to recommend is a bit of a bit of a sort of you know shooting fish in a barrel a little bit. Really, uh, he is the master of Monster Mouth for a very good reason. But I am going to recommend one of his very early films prior to this film. And it's the 1971 TV movie Duel. In which a man in a car, um, played by Dennis Weaver, is pursued by a massive truck, basically. Um, It is a stripped down kind of horror film in many ways. It's just this this, um, guy in a red car being hunted by a malevolent driver and his truck. It's early Spielberg, but it's very, very good Spielberg. It's before Spielberg kind of grew into his very kind of family-focused, alien-obsessed later period. So that's my favourite mention. Great. Second one is a bit of a a bit of a stretch, but I don't really care. Um, Roshan Seth, who plays Chetalai, the Prime Minister in in uh, Indiana Jones was also in a film in 1994 called Street Fighter starring Jean-Claude Van Damme starring Kylie Minogue he played Dal Shim uh, who anyone who's played a character in this he's just a scientist he's not the character from the games it is a glorious Technicolor neon 90s mess but I love it it is terrible in so many, many ways. <laughs> but it is one of those films that if I see it on TV, I'm going to watch it. And I, I just have a lot of love for this film. Um, but you have to get... If you if you're a 90, if you live in the 90s, you'll understand. Watching it back now, it's it's not good. But I have a lot of love for it. Um, so yeah, recommendations. Street Fighter 1994. Sam. Okay. Um, yes, well I have... Two recommendations. I thought, well, politically speaking, I'd go for one that was is a much better representation of India, um, and a, a more certainly more recent film, um, and one that was in was a worse representation to see to see sort of sort of a spectrum of uh, where Temple of Doom falls. Um, the worst one of Goth is. Um, 20 years earlier, it's a 1965 um, Beatles film, Help, uh, which focuses on a tuggy, it's not actually tuggy, but it's a parody of the cult, um, and a ring that is owned, or taken, then worn by Ringo, 
Um, and it's utterly ridiculous and terrible. Has some great music, as as is fairly obvious, um, but is politically very dubious. Um, the more up to date um, recommendation, very up to date, is a film from this year, which isn't strictly a recommendation at all because I haven't seen it. Um, it's one that I want to get around to seeing. It's only been out. Um, it was only out in in cinemas in this country quite recently uh, and it's the Shah Rukh Khan 2016 film Fan it has Shah Rukh Khan playing both a superstar a Shah Rukh Khan type superstar Shah Rukh Khan being huge in, in uh, Bollywood has been for, for years if not decades um, he plays a character like himself and also that character's fan and it's it's an it sounds it sounds like a really interesting film and it's one that I want to go and see. So there's my my recommendation for this week. So guys, if you want to come and talk to us, um, and I feel that Sam may be defending his stance, not liking his film a little bit on Twitter. <laughs> you can find both of us at Prestige Podcast. You can find me at Life Underscore Academic, but don't tell Sarah because she's just going to find me and kill me. Yeah, she is. Yes. <laughs> And you can find me at Rob Kaiju. And we'll see you back here next week for issue three, episode three, part three, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.